Welcome to another episode of the RAG podcast. And for those of you who don't know, the RAG stands for Recruitment Agency Growth. Since early 2019, I've been interviewing the most successful and innovative recruitment owners to learn how they rose to the top of their game. In season seven, I'm going to be having raw, authentic and insightful conversations with agency owners, entrepreneurs, leaders, people across the industry. And I want to be learning about their ambitions, what's happening behind the scenes in their agencies today and their plans to navigate difficult market conditions. I'll be bringing you the latest and greatest recruitment stories every single week on Wednesdays at noon across multiple platforms. Stay tuned. Welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast here live in Dubai for another week. On this week's show, I'm joined by Jonathan Berry. Jonathan is the, the leader, the, the director of the Middle East region for Robert Walters Group. Um, and is someone I've known for five years, have been working with him for four years. He was the first member of staff at Robert Walters who joined my bootcamp. And I'm now working with over 700 recruiters across the group. John came to Dubai after working for Robert Walters in Sydney, and he's now running the region. He talks about being an entrepreneur in the Middle East, how he could have started his own recruitment firm by now, but he doesn't want to. He wants to work with Robert Walters, run the region. And he talks about literally what it's like to move here, earn a tax-free income, and build a business in Dubai. Um, if you're interested in either opening up an office in, in, in this part of the, the world or moving here yourself, you need to listen up. So without further ado, John, welcome to the RAG podcast. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. It's been uh, it's been something I think we should have done a while ago. Yeah, definitely. We've been talking about it for years. We, um, we're here in Dubai for the third episode. Third, I forget how many I've done now. Uh, third episode in Dubai. You are one of my oldest clients and contacts in Dubai. I think I came out here. I'm going to estimate it was 29, January of 2020. Yeah. And you message me saying, "Hey, mate, seeing you online or your podcast yeah. or whatever. If you're around, it'd be good to meet." And I was I was with my ex at the time on a birthday trip, and I didn't make it. But can you remember that? I remember that. So you were a regular the Rag Podcast on my commute to work. I remember my missus at the time was just like, "God, you need to get a life. You work in recruitment. You're listening to a recruitment podcast on the way." And then that was it. And then when I saw you said I'm popping up in Dubai, I thought. Let's meet in person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The rest is history. Well, I'm, a sh I'm sorry I didn't meet you on that trip, but we got there in the end. Um, John, I've done you an intro. Yeah. I think most people know Robert Walters. Yeah. So can you just give us the bird's eye view of just what, I don't need any detail, just the high level of your job, yeah. what you look after for Rob Walters, what are your responsibilities, people, niches, that kind of Absolutely. Thing. So I'm the director of UAE and Northern Gulf. So what that means is Abu Dhabi, Dubai, Qatar, Bahrain, Oman, Kuwait. Right. Within that, the specialisms we've got legal, which is my bread and butter, which we'll come on to, uh, compliance, banking, financial services, tech, HR, sales and marketing. They're the core disciplines that we've got with that. We're based in DIFC in Dubai. That's our head and waters for the Middle East. We've got 50 people now. So we're pretty, uh, we've grown ex exceptionally big since I joined. So all the all those regions are covered by Dubai? Yes, by Dubai. Um, yeah. Fly in, fly out. I was constantly on a plane to the likes of Riyadh and Qatar. Um, and we've opened an office in Abu Dhabi. So we've got in the WeWork there in Hub 71. So and that's great because a lot of our clients and major clients are sovereign wealth funds up in Abu Dhabi and stuff. So it's nice to have boots on the ground there as well. So you're building staff up there. It's not just a place to go. That's the long-term vision. So the long-term vision is we'll hopefully have offices and hubs in each of the countries. Now, obviously at the moment, there's limitations on opening offices in the likes of Riyadh. But the second that there's a free zone announced or that we can do it, 
we'll be on the same plane as Michael Page and Hayes and we'll probably getting office space next to each other. Um, but for now... It... Well, there's... Are you familiar with a company called Halliot? Yes, I know Halliot, yeah. Yeah, because I interviewed them recently. Yeah. And they've got an office in Riyadh, so they've done it. I don't know how they've done so it. So I think they're slightly different because they do a lot more payrolling services and they've got their own, can, yeah. Whereas yeah. with traditional search, pure recruitment, yeah. Fair, that makes sense. And I don't know a lot about the, the likes of QA and Bahrain. Do they have... Is it a similar situation there? Yeah, so obviously the smaller recruitment markets. The ones that obviously hit the headlines are Dubai and Saudi. Probably they're the two because they're just the, the biggest growing markets. Um, Abu Dhabi for us has actually been super busy, particularly because you've got national oil companies up there. You've got sovereign wealth funds. So they're a main part of our client base. Qatar, Oman, Kuwait, they're much smaller for us. Um, but there's such a big recruitment market there. It's just you need to go. You need to meet these people. It's very old school in the way they do business. You've got to shake hands and it's almost like a web of once you get in, as an example, some of the Q companies, the government businesses of Qatar, it's then a, a web of who you get passed to and introduced to. But yeah, if you don't put the time in, it's very difficult to know who's worth meeting. Fair, fair. So you're in charge of pretty much this region for mm -hmm. Walters, 50 employees. Yeah. It's a big job. You're 35 yep. years old. That's a big job for someone of your age. Yep. Let's go back. So how did you get into recruitment? What's the story there? So um, I'd, I always say my career has kind of gone in different stages. So the first one, I mean, my background as a qualified lawyer. So I studied law in Leeds, qualified as a solicitor, and I went back to the Northwest and became what's called a dedicated police station representative. People go, what does that what mean? What the hell is that? And the simplest way to say it is when you see on TV, someone gets arrested and they say, I want my solicitor. That was me. Right. So I would get called at all hours of the day to go to either the wonderful delights of Burnley Police Station, Preston, Manchester, Boulder. Yeah. And it could range from, there could be some simple theft of bacon from Tesco, or it could be a GBH or a rape. So you never know what you're going to get. So I would turn up and obviously I would get, given all the disclosure and the evidence from the police, I would then sit with the actual individual and find out have you done this? Have you not? And then I'd advise on... <laughs> Did they tell you the truth if they'd done it? Oh, yeah, most of the time they didn't. But especially when I was like a 22-year-old, wet behind the ears uh, lawyer. Did you turn up and they'd be full suit and Who the fuck have they sent yeah, that? Well, they sent the kids. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then obviously you see in the TV shows where they say no comment. That's what I had to advise, whether it was accept it, deny it, or give no comment. Um, I look, absolutely love that job. I would say in terms of interesting work, that was unbelievable. Was that more because you were just interested in the story? Yeah. And it was like, it, like whenever now, Netflix documentaries are cool, but yeah. back in the day when they didn't really exist, I was doing that live every You were the bill. Exactly. You were on the bill. But it takes its toll, right? You, the money was crap, to be honest. Yeah. But also, were you on call then, depending yeah, on when? Yeah. So you just get a buzz in the night, you got to get to Berlin. Yeah. So that was it. And it could be 3 a.m., you've been buzzed in, and you've got to go and see what happens. So it's jump out of bed, put the suit on and drive. Did you have an office as well? Yeah, so there's offices all over like the Northwest. So, But you'd have to like go in and nine to five if there was nothing. So day to day, you'd be doing like the admin, the court files, all that kind of stuff. And then nighttime, yeah, you just get on call. So, um, but it took its toll, right? You, I bet. You're 22, 23, your friends are going out. And yes, I'm a qualified lawyer, but at that point you are yeah, just constantly out and about. So I think I then made the decision after a couple of years that I wanted to stay in law, certainly, but move into a bit more of a sociable hours job. So mm. moved into the city, got a Manchester job where it was still criminal defense, but it was more the nine to five traditional yeah. stuff. Um, and then, yeah, so a couple of years there and then decided, actually, 
am I loving this in the future? Am I going to be a lawyer doing this? I wasn't quite sure. And then a bit of a dramatic turn of events, me and my wife had a pretty bad car crash on a motorway. Um, we both walked about out of it completely unscathed. Where? Back here? Back here? Yeah. Aquaplaned on a motorway, spun multiple times. It was pretty, pretty intense. Um, and that was kind of the light bulb moment for us of yeah. like, what are we doing here? Let's just life short. It could have been very different end to that story. Let's try something else. And a lot of our friends after university traveled the world, got to Sydney and never came back. And yeah. we were sick of looking on social media at Bondi Beach and Coogee and having a great time. And I was de-icing my car in Manchester at six a.m. Exactly. Complaining on the rays and the exactly. wet. Oh. So at that point, we were just like, look, let's just get hand our notice in, book a ticket to Sydney and see what happens. So we, and it's your current wife? Yeah, yeah, yeah. current wife. So oh, we, we did that. And I, funnily enough, went into Robert Walters' offices to say, look, just landed in Australia, qualified lawyer, don't know how long I'm going to be here for. What are my options? And they were very much, well, let's have a chat about what you could look at. Have you considered headhunting lawyers? And at the time, I thought, well, kind of been told a bit about recruitment, but didn't know much about it. And then the rest was history, really. Um, what year was that? 2014. Yeah. So, so I, I got there in 2011 and got. I didn't have a sim. I had a similar experience when I got to to Melbourne. Yeah. It was just like, I don't know how long I'm going to be there, yeah. but I... I did not think of going to a recruitment agency because I knew as a teacher, my qualification wasn't valid. Yeah. So I, I got like a coffee shop job and all yeah. that. I, went, I think I went through more like your high street blue area type. I didn't even know what recruitment was. Yeah. And then a mate got a job at Randstad yeah. and I was like, I fancy a bit of that. That sounds pretty... And they gave, put us on the 457 yeah. visa. Yeah, so yeah, we're exactly on that. Yeah, on the yeah. 457 visa. And did you like talk us through what it was like? Because um, Sydney's an expensive city. Yeah, of course. You know, you've you've gone traveling, you've landed there. Did you have any time out or did you go straight into work? Well, so funnily enough, go back a step slightly. As part of the, when I was in Manchester doing the um, the more sociable hours legal work, I also was a registered lawyer for the Football Association. So that came up because again, as I said to you, I wasn't loving law and obviously I'm football mad as you know. So I thought, well, can I combine the two? So we kind of looked at almost on the side of work that we noticed that as a registered lawyer, I can, I can represent footballers. So as we were doing that, there was a gap for lots of players who fell out of the game after a youth contract, say 17, 18 years old. And we were looking, well, can we set up an outlet for these guys to get back into football? And obviously that we would represent them as their lawyer. So as we were doing that, we were setting up exit trials for players to come and have a look at, um, scouts to come and have a look at. And that I plan to do in Australia as well. Wow. But obviously football is not the same animal in Australia as it is in, in the UK. So as we were doing that on the side, I kind of thought, let's just curb that and just go all in with proper recruitment at Robert Walters. Um, and it was a big culture shock because I'd kind of gone from being a lawyer, then being an FA registered lawyer, which I thought was my dream, yeah. then going to football in Australia, which isn't really a thing, and then changing career again and changing countries. Um, and it was a huge culture shock. And I'd probably say for the first four to six months, I was second guessing myself, have I done the right thing? I bet. As well, like telling people you're a lawyer yeah. is a bit more prestigious than saying I'm a recruiter. Well, that was actually part of the interview process. I was always told, how would you feel if in six months' time or 12 months' time, you decide actually maybe go back into law and you're now not considered because it's, well, you've left the law now and you're now a recruiter. And even the psychological side of your friends and family thinking, well, does that mean you're a bad lawyer? Is that or why have you left law? Is that because you couldn't hack it? And those things all go through your brain. But obviously I had a very clear vision of like, I just 
can't see myself doing that in the future. And I think the way that Rob Walter sold recruitment was meeting people, building relationships, solving problems, whining, dining, lunching with partners and general counsels and heads of compliance. And I thought, do you know what? That sounds, it aligns with my personality. Do you know what? I, I, I had a similar, I was a teacher. Yeah. I wasn't a lawyer, but I was a professional in my own right that when I get to Oz, I can't do it. I used to say, when people say, what do you do? I'd say, I'm a teacher that works in recruitment. Yeah. And they'd be like, what do you mean? Yeah. Like, well, I'm a P teacher in England. Yeah. But over here, I work in recruitment. I can't do yeah. it. And it wasn't until I went, I actually left and moved back to the UK and got a job in London in recruitment yeah. that I realized I'm a recruiter. Yeah. Because I'm in the UK. Exactly. Yeah. I can't say it's, I've got no excuses. I've chosen to recruit in London. Yeah. And then I loved it after yeah. that. But I, I, it took me about 18 months to commit to being a recruiter. Definitely. Yeah. Because I always had it in the back of my head. Well, I'm actually a trained teacher yeah. and it probably sounds better to other people. Exactly. Which is nonsense, yes, really. Exactly. It's bullshit. I mean, even now, my, my LinkedIn headline is still lawyer to recruitment director. Yeah. But actually, I do that now because it kind of, in the legal world, adds a bit of credibility. So that's why I use that. So how did you take to the job then? What was it really like? And what was life like in Sydney? New job, new yeah. city, your wife's there. Like You've got a lot to... Yeah. I mean, to be honest, that was some of the best years of our lives. We always said that because it was... No kids, no responsibilities. We would, and, and in Sydney, obviously, as you know, yeah. no one drives. So it was, everyone was similar age, kind of like 26 to 30. It's a boozy place. Going out, coffees in the day, drinks at night, get the metro home and just repeat. And it was just yeah. really fantastic lifestyle. Very outdoorsy. Everyone was walking out and about. And then it was just a lot of fun, to be honest. And I think I kind of fell lucky as well that the team and my manager, and my manager at the time, shout out to Henry Smith, he, um, he was fantastic and he kind of like, we were just peas in a pod. He taught me everything, every meeting we were on together. And people used to say we were like Harvey and Mike from Suits. Cause we were just well, together. You were, all the time. you were Mike. Yeah. yeah. I was the apprentice. Like right. Exactly. And, but yeah, and it was just really good. It was a super developed team. They already had great relationships there. So I just kind of slotted in. I would imagine if I'd have gone into like a cold calling team where I didn't have a clue about how to recruit or didn't have that guidance, I'd probably fallen out of recruitment. You never know. But and do you think the legal background that in the early days helped because you understood yeah. candidates were saying and you, you had a bit of credibility with candidates? Yeah, I mean, I did a lot of compliance stuff as well, to be honest. So going in with the big banks and looking at heads of compliance and I was interested to learn new things. So like monitoring and surveillance around investment banking and the regulations around that. So um, I'd certainly say it adds credibility because straight away, as soon as you sit down, and lobbies, uh, lawyers are quite snobby, right? And they yeah. frequently go, where did you train? Or what do you know about law? The second you can just say it, yeah, straight away, yeah, you've got that. Credible. You can see their face change immediately. I was the opposite. <laughs> so I was I recruited IT. And I remember literally, on, I said this on a recent podcast, me and this lad, Stefan Stein, shout out to Stefan Falonzi in Melbourne, if he's still around. Yeah. Um, he was an IT support desk guy who got a job in IT recruitment. And I was an XP teacher who'd yeah. never even owned a laptop. Yeah. So... They're telling us about IT application development and infrastructure, hardware. I couldn't, I didn't know what it yes. was. And he just understood everything. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I'm so jealous. The challenge he had was he was a, an IT guy first and he didn't naturally take to the communication. So if you'd have combined the two of you, you would have, yeah, we'd have been perfect. Yeah. But, but I think I could learn tech faster than he could yeah. be charismatic, if you yeah. know what I mean. And he did all right. I don't think he lasted in recruitment for that long. He did a couple of years, but... um. I remember feeling jealous of people that understood it. So I yeah. think with your background, it must have been a nice cushion. Yeah, it's a softer landing, definitely. But then 
But the sales side was oh, new, right? The hard part definitely yeah. was the time management, the picking up the phone. Back in those days, it makes me sound old, but it was a lot of desk headhunting. It was, yeah, pick up the phone and people didn't necessarily have mobiles. It was you were calling their desk phone as in a two seconds, you had to attract their attention and say, I'm calling, appreciate your boss might be sat next to you, but can you give me your mobile number? I'll speak to you after work. Yeah. I've got an opportunity. Yeah. All those days have dramatically changed now, definitely. It's still... I mean, could you even get through to someone's desk phone? In that? I mean, we still have the Rob Walters, but they're just redundant, to be honest. Yeah. Everyone's got a mobile and to which everybody's on WhatsApp and all sorts. Yeah. Even when I was in 2014, 15 in London, though, contract recruitment was run by email. Yeah. Before. Like, they had them, but I was WhatsApping then. So I can imagine, you know, it, it's moved on yeah, a hell of a definitely. Long. So how long were you in Australia? Three years. Yeah. Right, so t- 14 to 17. And how did your career evolve? So brilliant. So I ended up managing the team. I was one of the top billers in Australia. In my final year, 2016, I was a top perm biller. Went on the global intensive trip to Thailand. All fantastic. And then, as you know, in Australia, you kind of have to decide, am I emigrating or it's a big decision. am I just kind of enjoying my life here for a couple of years? And I think we, there's a bit of a fork in the roads and we decided we're pretty close to our families and friends. And I think we thought hey, we're not going to set up roots here. So let's head back. Um, but at the time, we were not ready for England. We said, let's, let's have, we've got definitely another adventure in us. Yeah. So I spoke to Rob Walters' group internally, and they were amazing. And I had offers from um, Dublin, Manchester, London, Amsterdam, Dubai, and pretty much said, take your pick. We want to keep you in the group. Where, where do you want to go? Obviously, I had to go with English-speaking um, uh, offices. Yeah. Um, and Dubai really spoke out to us. A couple of reasons. One, one of my friends was there and I'd been before on holiday and absolutely loved the place. Yeah. But two, one of the global top billers had just left to set up his own and he was the legal manager. So my viewpoint was what an opportunity because he's left, always he's left to set up his own. There is a desk there that was, it was the top billing desk in Dubai, top performing desk for years. I could hopefully just slot straight in. What you saying? He did no work and just well, the truth of it. <laughs> the truth of it is I went there and... Day one, Jason, who's the MD, pulled me aside and said, just to let you know, you've seen consultant resign this morning. So you effectively, you and a researcher. And yeah. I looked at the database and the person who'd left had pretty much done it all on WhatsApp. Yeah. So there was no database. So it was no use. The idea that I had of coming into this, oh, great team, it's going to be super easy, was the exact opposite. Oh. And I turned up and had nothing and it was right, build this. Um, so let's get, we'll get into that in a minute. So. I've not, I don't know, what does your wife do? Because she's gone on this same journey. So she was a manager at Venn Group. Um, right. And yes, yeah, she was a, She went to Sydney in recruitment. So she worked at Hayes um, and then she went, went, decided to leave recruitment and went into Salesforce. So right. absolutely loved Salesforce. Selling tech. Yeah, selling tech. And yeah, she hates me for this because when we moved to Dubai, Salesforce were not here. And Salesforce was like a dream company. It was yeah, right. all the, the stuff you can imagine, the free breakfast and the lifestyle. And it was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, drinking the Salesforce cooling. Exactly. So then when she came back here, um, she actually went back into recruitment for a little bit. Um, and yeah, I mean, here's a tough place to recruit. I think if you don't land in a great company, that's the challenge. Um, so yeah, and then she um, obviously now got two babies. So she is full-time mum at the time being, and she's uh, busier than I am, to be honest. So was she in recruitment until the yeah. babies, yeah. right? Yeah. And that is a, it's a career you can land, yeah. find a job. and so So how did it go then? You get here. It's 2014. 2017, we landed. 2017, sorry. Right, 2017 is when I started Hawk. Yeah. So that feels like yesterday. Exactly. Seven, seven years, years ago. Yeah. So you walk in, colder desk than you expect. Yeah. Jason's your manager yeah. then, as he is yeah. now. What did Dubai look like as a team back then? So the whole office was 15 people. 
Right. The legal team was one intern and one researcher, and then plus me. Um, yeah. And everything was just real startup phase, you could tell. We didn't have any real things in, in place around the database properly. There was no real incentives. It was just kind of all a bit ad hoc, which you would understand from a, yeah. from a startup, not to 15-person business. And then obviously, I think I was able to bring in some of the bigger business mindset because Sid from Sydney was 120 fee earners. It was a big, big office. So some of the really simple, quick wins I could bring in. Um, and then, yeah, it developed. On the back of that, we hired a few people from Rob Walters. London came in and they added a few more fresh pair of eyes. And just over time, it just... Is Rob Walters good at that, at moving its talent within the... Yeah. Keeping keep people. I, one thing I would say, we're excellent at internal mobility. It's highly encouraged. Which can be annoying for the manager at the time because you could at any drop of a hat lose your top performer and you yeah. kind of have to. Yeah. Um, yeah. But one thing I would say was certainly is improvement upon is the communication across the offices. It's such a big animal, right? It's 4,500 people that one initiative that might be happening in Tokyo, London doesn't even know it exists and vice versa. Yeah. So, But I think over time, certainly that's just... But it, does it feel like one company now? Yeah, or definitely. There's, yeah. there's still lots of occasions and we created a couple of years ago like the global legal network. So all the legal teams would jump on a quarterly call and have an email chain and just the basic stuff really. But that certainly helped. And going back to, so you said you, you managed a team and you were a top dealer yep. in, in Sydney. Yep. What was the remit you were brought in to do? Like obviously you were se stepping into a legal desk that was a top performer. Yep. Did you... Were you always going down a management route? Did you want to build? Like, what, what was the vision? I think for me, I always realized that I wanted the management route. And I, right. Going back to childhood, I was obsessed with football manager, as crazy as it And I never wanted to be a footballer. I always wanted to be a football manager. So you're like Andre Villas. Exactly. And, and the, best, <laughs> the best bit for me was always the transfer. Are you a good player? people? No, bang average. <laughs> bang average. But I always used to love like the transfers and have I got the right people in the right places? And then, weirdly enough, years later, I had a kind of, a light bulb moment I was like I'm kind of doing that not with footballers but just with recruiters but do you know what bizarre just to interject but I'd say I'm the opposite yeah I was always the footballer never wanted to manage yeah. and I, I like being a captain if you yeah like, but I was never that bothered about that side got into recruitment again selfish top biller yeah. but then got into leadership and as I went down the management route Pep Guardiola just come to see yeah. and honestly the the kind of it was either the decision to, to, to start my own company yeah. was like the selfish growth cash. Yeah. But the, there was a part of me that thought about staying in, 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 in bigger, well, joining a bigger firm, moving around the world, yeah. because I was like, I could be like Guardiola. Yeah, definitely. I could literally, because Guardiola did a few years in Spain, a few years in Germany. He's now done six, seven years in England, yeah. but he will leave. Definitely. And I thought, if I stay as a manager... I could move anywhere because I'm not tied to my network. Exactly. I'm tied to the team you build. Yep. And the, I was like, yeah, I was, I was literally like, I want to be like Guardiola. Yeah. Because it is similar. It's performance related. It's team based. You can wear the nice V-neck and tie like you used to wear. Yeah. Like, I used to dress like yeah, yeah. so I just never looked like yeah. it. Um, so, so you you identified early on that the yeah. management route was more of more where you were suited. Because I loved, I loved billing. But what I would say is the main thing I loved about billing was the client relationships, the winning the business. Did I love the candidate searching? No, not particularly. No. And I think for me, I got such a kick of seeing a junior come through and just things like they would say something on a call and win something and they would be so happy to tell you, oh, did you hear that on that call? And that I got a lot of motivation from. Obviously, management's hard. There are times where you go, God, I just wish I was just a sole biller. But on the whole, the motivation definitely comes from the team doing well and 
and just like everyone collaborating and getting on and having a good culture. Like I always say, people who set up on their own and it's one man in a bedroom or one lady in a bedroom, it's a tough gig because yeah. to motivate yourself every day and not have just that five minute of banter or anything must be challenging, really difficult. Yeah. But you've you've kind of got to be that almost like Lone Ranger Beast type character to, to want that. Like even me, like I'd say I've, I'm happiest now in my own office in my garden, yeah. which is mad yeah. because I'm on Zoom all day. I see people, but I, I don't miss the, I don't miss the coffee. Yeah, yeah. I'm not interested yet. Whereas some people love yeah. that and bounce off that. And I think as a manager, you've got to- You have to do a bit of that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And it's all- You arm, arm around 100%. How's your weekend? How's your family? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I don't naturally, I don't know. It didn't come as natural for me that. Bit. Well, actually, one, one of my friends, it's funny. He always used to say that because I used to be known for going on like client lunches and stuff. And he used to say to me, he's like, I don't know how you do it. How do you care? Like, are you bothered about that person's kids or the fact that they're just doing a school play? That comes natural. Yeah. When it's a business relationship. Yeah. I know everything about everyone and yeah. like I'm I'm surprised I didn't know your Mrs. In yeah. actually. I'm like but when it comes to my own team, yeah. I almost have to remember to have that yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, that's a business relationship. So is your team. Yeah, yeah. Your team are your business. Yeah. And I've I've learned that the hard way through Hoxo yeah. that I've I've made those mistakes, yeah. I think. Um so before we look at the leadership bit, yeah. how did you because I know you built a successful recruitment desk yeah. in Dubai. Yeah. Talk us through the journey and what do you think it takes to make, like, to build well in Dubai? Yeah. What are the fundamentals you need to consider? The the number one thing for me was I can't do this on my own. So I knew right. that I need to hire the right people. So, well, right team. team. Was the team. 100%. Yeah. And actually, the first hire that I made is still with me now, Nick Ayabusi, and he was one of the most critical hires I made because I knew that I'm going to need a 2IC here, definitely, and we can attack this together and go on a journey and then build people around that. And that's exactly what we did. And yeah, six years on, he's still with me and actually we just promoted him to associate director. Wow, great story. What, what was his job? Like a he, he was a legal legal recruiter in the UK. Right. Um, and we have mutual friends and I was just like, buddy, come with me. I need help and we'll go on this journey. And how did you, did you just poach him there? Well, so backstory, I was his, he was working with the best man at my wedding and we right. went on a stag do together and all of a sudden we like, I quite like you. Do you want to come? And that was it. So yeah, and and he and he was up for Dubai. Hundred percent. So and then around that, obviously, we've made strategic hires. We've hired lawyers into the team. So we've actually got, I think, four, five qualified lawyers in the team now as consultants. Right. So obviously, you've got to pay them a little bit more. But you look at the attributes of lawyers, and they're great recruiters. They're hardworking. They're intelligent. They can usually speak to people. Yeah. They negotiate well. Um, so at that point, you go right. This is the outbound bit. The difficult bit. I could imagine they'd see it a bit below them to uh, pick up the phone. and personality. Some mm -hmm. some lawyers, yeah, absolutely. Um, but a lot of them, no. They're just hungry and want to go at it. And obviously, competitive beasts by nature usually. And when you start seeing a leaderboard, lawyers want to be at the top of that leaderboard. They don't want to be near the bottom. So we made those hires. And I think we strategically looked at as well the basics of who are the biggest legal teams in the Middle East. Chances are there's going to be more attrition there. Let's go and meet them. And obviously, like the old school way of we need to get in their faces and they need to know who we are so we will meet them in their office. This is recruiters or is this no, this is the clients that right. we're going to meet. Yeah. So we knew that some of the sovereign wealth funds have huge legal teams. Let's go and meet them. Tell them who we are. So you were literally like classically phoning up, can I buy you a coffee? Can I buy you around Abu Dhabi yeah. and Dubai? Like crazy, just but smart crazy. That's how I built my recruitment yes. desk was can, look, I, and I'd be open to some people. I haven't even got anything for yeah, you right now. Exactly. But I think it'd be beneficial to know yeah. each other. Do you fancy half an hour coffee? I'll never forget. There was an example in Sydney office where one of the legal recruiters, 
he met. He was an Aussie guy from London returning home. And he said, look, can I meet you for a coffee? Super senior. And the recruiter at the time said, look, I've got nothing for you, but I'll meet you for a coffee. Lo and behold, that guy gets a huge job. Who does he call and said, I've just got signed off for 18 positions exclusively. You were the only recruiter that gave me the time of day and took me for a coffee. They're all yours exclusively. Yeah. And then he was the top perm builder in Australia solely because of that coffee. <laughs> and that stuck with me. So I was like, meet everyone. Meet everyone. Give everyone the time. Absolutely. Because you just never know. They could be someone's no. brother, next door neighbor. Who knows? So we just did that. And then we also looked at, which I suppose this is the benefit of a bigger business. Where else have we made placements? Not necessarily illegal. And we go, right, hey, we made a placement in finance with you last year. Let's chat to the CFO. Can you introduce me to your legal team? We've already got a contract in place. And then let's go from there. I'm interrupting today's episode to give you a message from our brand new sponsor. Now, this company are called Untapped. And everyone knows that Hoxo, through this podcast, I've, I've explained that we, we've built our team internationally, heavily in South Africa. Okay. And I get questions all the time from clients and people who listen to the show, like, how have you done it? What was the process, et cetera? Well, I've partnered with a business that can ultimately reveal it all, share it all and, and help you do the same, right? Because look, it's been a tricky year for the sector and many of people through uncertain times have had to streamline operations. However, you know, accessing low cost resources internationally has proven to be a bit of a cheat code for some people, including Hoxo. But anyone who's tried it like us, it's very difficult, a lot of work, process to get it right. So this company Untapped are one of the hottest companies in the market. They've helped Hoxo, they're helping our clients. Um, and they specifically look at companies in the UK, US, Middle East and Australia transition to using remote individuals and building full offshore sourcing and recruitment solutions. So they source talent pools from places like South Africa and the Philippines. Um, and we're talking about experienced talent here. We're not talking about graduates with no experience. This is like people with three to five years recruitment experience and integrate them into your UK team, okay? So they work remotely, but plug into your UK team. Um, they put around 3,000 candidates per month through an intense four-stage interview and online testing process to find the top 1% or 30 people and secure these people for work with recruitment agencies like yourself. You know, all candidates are benchmarked against UK competency frameworks and the, the way in which you would hire in the UK. So we're not, again, we're not talking about cheap for the sake of being cheap. We're talking about international experienced people just living in lower cost locations. So it's a really simple process. If you want to work with these guys, you pay a deposit to kick off their search. They then provide a candidate shortlist in 14 days. And then you can put people through your own process to hire them permanently, or there's a freelance option. So if you just want to try before you buy, they can employ them. You pay a daily rate and it's a freelance option. Untapped are totally transparent with all the salaries and fees. Um, but, you know, we're talking about, you'll still pay about 70% less than a UK equivalent in that role. So it's a no brainer to complement your existing team to handle surplus demand and ease cost pressures. You know, if you're not using this to rip up your business and rebuild it with global resources, then you're probably gonna fall behind eventually. So due to demand and capacity, they're only operating on a waiting list right now. So if you wanna be part of their waiting list, go to www.tryuntapped.com. Okay, www.tryuntapped.com and check out their information. Make sure you say that you listen to the RAG podcast um, because they'll do you a very special deal as well. Right, go and check them out. Back to the show.
So what were your what was your trajectory like? Like was it per, and was it personal billings or team billings both. that you were measuring? Both, yeah, both. So I mean, obviously, with me, I was the only real biller at the beginning, so it was kind of high pressure to build the team and bill and just get yourself out there. So and we then very quickly build a strategy of private practice and in-house separate, and, I, and just get out there and just meet as many. And which one did you focus? So I was in-house and Nick was private practice. Right, it was very much the same candidate base. You just shift them from one place to the other. So wow, and tax-free income. Yeah, big plus. What was? Did that? Do you get used to that really quick here? Like, did that? Was that like a novelty that wears off? Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna forget the first pay slip that I got. There was just one number. I was like, well, where's the rest of the deductions? And there was just where's like, all the NI? And there isn't any. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and and actually, it's funny because what six seven years ago when I started. We were actually trying to recruit a lot of international lawyers to come here, mainly from London. And that was at the time when London was booming. People were loving life. And still the Middle East and Dubai was seen as a bit of a, a backwater. And the Daily Mail probably didn't help that with some of the stories about yeah, my yeah. wandering could be arrested. And even now, people are like, oh, go in Dubai. Can you can you do much there? Exactly. Like, can you hold hands? And I'm like, what? Exactly. Just, what are you just cut it. And it's the most it's Western place you've ever seen. It's a nutty. It's full of nuts. And, and actually, it was quite hard to attract international lawyers because of all of that. Now yeah. it's the opposite. They are now coming to us. Wanting, they, wanting to be It's not just about the tax-free and the sunshine, which we thought that was the quick sell and the easy win. Now it's more about it's the safest place on earth. And yeah. we've got, you can get private healthcare like that. You get a doctor's appointment tomorrow. Nobody's striking and... It's actually a great lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, it's hot for four or five months of the year, but you've got to just weigh up what you what you're looking for. Pros and yeah, cons, absolutely. So you you build in the team. Yeah, your tax. But, did, but the question was, did the tax free bit? Does that? Did you get used to that and it just becomes norm? Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah. But then, do you? Did, does it work out as an uplift though with yeah definitely yeah like, again it's like anywhere and i was told at the beginning it's just if you're smart with your money right you, you can because you'll pay the difference everywhere it's expected exactly and you, there's people come here and earn more money than ever but then they go back to the uk and they go i've got no savings because that's they've fallen into the trap of buying the watches the cars the stuff that they don't need whereas if you're smart with your money you can save a lot of money here yeah. and yes pint of beer is expensive Yes, some of the restaurants are, but once you live here, you're savvy. You know where to drink. You know what places, and you know what apps and deals there are. The bloody entertainers exactly. get told about. And yeah. I think it's like Kite Beach is free. Go to yeah. Kite Beach, grab a coffee. Unbelievable. And that costs you yeah. nothing. So yeah. it's just be yeah. smart. Yeah. Just have a good day. Yeah. Enjoy it. So you you got here in 2017, yeah. and it was 2019 when you messaged yes. me. So I remember. No, no. So 2020. When, so there's three years in that gap. Can you remember where you, what, like, why were you listening to recruitment podcasts at that point? In your I think what was, was going on for you? Self-development. That's purely what it was. Because you got to the point where I think I'd grown legal to a good level. I think we we're about five or six feet. And after a couple of years, um, now the biggest in, in the region, we're now nine, 10 people. Um, and then it was like, right, well, what next do I do? Because that was kind of running super smoothly and was going great. And for me, I've always liked trying to either fix something or build something and want something completely is running and it's just a matter of increasing it by one percent i wouldn't say i lose interest but it's not as exciting i'm exactly the same i'm exactly so i said to, and jason my boss was like right you've got the process you've you used to call it the chemistry set you've got the chemistry set that's running now let's just put it to something else so then we built hr desk from scratch we then built um compliance and just went on through there and i think for me that was how do i personally get to the next step so if i've got this chemistry set and it seems to be working well how do i improve myself as a leader and just wanted to know how could I be better, to be honest. And then obviously, what would you say if you look back at those first few years? Yeah. What would you do differently? Um, relax more. 
I would say, because I think I was very much about we need to do this, X, Y, Z, and it was great and it obviously worked. But I think a lot of the time, yeah, it's just a matter of just trust the process. If you've got yourself under undue pressure, exactly. If you trust the process and follow it, it will work rather than thinking, oh, that's not worth this month. We might need to change it. Let's do this. Let's do that. It's more about just probably relax a little bit. When you say the process, what do you mean? As in, are we attacking the right clients? How are we approaching them? Should we change this? And sometimes, I think, again, going back to the Guardiola reference, he has a plan. He knows how he likes to play football. That doesn't change whether it's the 80th minute or the 95th minute. No. He just trusts and his process. I think so amazing about that. Yeah. And also, we have a couple of bad games. Yeah. He doesn't change no. the way we play. The only thing that annoys me about Pep, which is totally off topic. <laughs> yeah. We could get out. Yeah. But like, do you remember like we've got we lost to Chelsea in the Champions League yeah. final and he doesn't play a defensive midfielder yeah. for the first time in 40 games. Yeah. Like he, he he has these moments where he tries to over be too clever. Yeah. But then if you look at his track record, he can afford those moments. Exactly. Yeah. And and I think that's true to anything. Yeah. If you consistently follow a plan, consistently is the key. 100%. Yeah. Let's go back to later that 2020 yeah. when COVID hit. So how did your what was your experience like? You know, you you, you living out here. You've been here a few years. Yeah, I mean, something like. What was it like living here when it went into? That was the most mental time of probably anybody's career, but certainly ours. Yeah. Because obviously, me and Jason were the two kind of like key leaders at that point, and we've never experienced anything like this. And obviously, yeah. Jason was speaking to the other officers globally around, and it was crazy because it was obviously speaking to our Asia offices first. So they were obviously in full lockdown, and there was this thing called COVID and all sorts. And at that point, we were going. It's never going to hit us or what's certainly not going to hit the recruitment market for us. And then you would just slowly hear these offices it was happening to. And then we were kind of thinking, we strap ourselves in, something's going to happen. And even when it did, I remember going on a meeting the day before the full lockdown and they zapped my head with a temperature gun. And I was just like, what is going on here? It was like a scene from a film. And then, yeah, that was it. Full lockdown the day after. You didn't have it for as long. In so Dubai, I would say, did an amazing job that we were in full lockdown for three months and that was it. I think yeah. Sheikh Mohammed and all the leaders decided that we need to go as intense as we can to get rid of this where we can and then open the doors because ultimately how much money is made from tourism and the hotel. Economically, it's all yeah. about it. So that's where they got it out. And I think it was very clear instructions that we are staying in for three months, but then that will help. It got us. hot then. It was getting hot, wasn't it? Yeah. So what was that like for you in your flat? No, you weirdly, me and my wife talked about this. We actually loved it because you were just in and everyone was in the same boat and it was just a strange time and I think you, you go one way or the other and we were but did you have like a little balcony yes yeah. we were we were on zoom calls and we created like the stay in and it was like a virtual pub that we all had in the office and everyone was having a drink together and yeah. it was quite a nice coming together environment and obviously how did you get drinks then was it all online yeah no so we could there's, there's MMI shops here yeah. and stuff that you can get um but yeah, so it was just one of those where it was quite a nice coming together. Obviously, we were very fortunate we were not affected by any health reasons or family yeah. world. I don't know, yeah, it was obviously different circumstances. But yeah, we actually quite enjoyed it. But from a work perspective, it was crazy. We had, I think, 95% of our jobs dropped off. We we're obviously perm only predominantly. So any offer we'd had accepted, they were just getting cancelled. It was a real mess. Um, and it was just our job changed from being recruiters to almost being motivators and counselors it was just yeah. speaking to the team speaking to clients about the first thing we always said when we called the client was i am not calling you for work just to let you know because that would be ridiculous it's more just checking in how are you how is but that's what going? it needed and that's why i think the businesses that cut too deep with furlough and redundancies yeah. they struggle because oh, they didn't do that and anyone who had the cash reserves yeah. or, the, or the desire to to keep people on the phone 
probably kept bounced. Kept, I mean, everyone bounced yeah. after because it was mental. Well, we were very clear. Bounced faster. Because we, we said that everyone was taking from top to bottom 20% salary reduction for three yeah. months, but we will give that back later yeah. in the year when money's gone better and everything. Um, and everyone was clear about that. Everyone was super on board with that. Um, we didn't cut any headcount. We were just like, we've got to, we've spent years building this good quality group. And again, this is maybe the foresight of Jason and the other MDs that this will be, there will be a bounce at some point. Yeah. You don't want to have cut heads. And some of our competitors cut 15 Fianna's overnight, 20. And then lo and behold, six months later, when the market really bounced, they were scrambling. They were trying to hire those people back and the damage is done at that point. Yeah. Whereas for us, we had the team ready built. Yeah. And that was when we started working yes. together. So my first earliest version of the personal brand boot yeah. you were one of you were one of the first people yeah, yeah. to join so what made you make that decision back covid i think made me realize that there's this whole world of digital side of recruitment which again linkedin for me used to be a job board i'll be honest yeah it was second i had a legal counsel three pqe i would put it up put it on linkedin and then just see what came in and that was it and then never really interact with linkedin again um because linkedin recruiter didn't exist for the first six years of my career um and then I think with COVID and everything, I was thinking, well, maybe there's more to, if we can't meet people, we can't go for coffees, how else am I going to get my brand and name out there? And it was digital. And then obviously from hearing your podcast, something just went off in me where I was like, wow, there's a whole new world that I can see the value of it and then got in touch. And then that was it. And how did you find it? Because I mean, it's changed a lot since yeah. we worked together, but you were the first of like 700 Robert, Wal Robert yeah. Walters people I've worked with. What? How do you, how would you describe your experience of going through that training and what you learned? Yeah, brilliant, super clear. I mean, I think the model of back then it was personal, valuable, credible posts. And yeah. again, I would never have dreamt of putting anything personal on LinkedIn. I just didn't understand why would people care. And I remember you always saying people would just comment saying it's not Facebook. What are you posting this yeah. for? But then again, the flip side, I thought, but it humanizes you. People yeah. then naturally know. I remember you posted about your French bulldog, and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to have a French bulldog years ago. Yeah. I'm a golfer the amount of people would then message saying oh you like golf or oh, i like golf let's play and yeah. all those type of things where i could just see a, a value in it and i think the process of understanding why you're doing it was super key and then the consistent messaging around how yeah how you do it and also don't reinvent the wheel because i remember at the beginning i was thinking how am i going to think of all these posts and i'm quite creative but i was like i can't just sit there all day thinking what am i going to type now and it was just very much i remember your messaging was what do you tell candidates and clients? Just write that down. And I was like, wow, in that call I've just had with that client, I probably got six LinkedIn posts about what's the market and what's remuneration and what benefits and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'll never forget you put you put a message into the group saying, hey guys, 15 minutes after my valuable session, yeah. a top tier lawyer has just reached out because you, you, you gave some advice to clients running a good process. Yes. And a guy was like, that was on point. And then you're on the phone yeah. to him straight away. And then and people don't realize like how that, turns in like they think all right linkedin i get you need to post but how does that translate yeah. to to revenue exactly and how would you describe that oh the trans the, what is the link i would probably say we haven't actually added the exact value probably because it's so hard to do because the amount of messages that come in directly from a post where prime example as you said that i will say right guys i've just had a terrible offer management from a client and it's nearly messed up Obviously, keep it anonymous. Yeah. And there's so many people messaged on the back of it saying, this happened to me, this happened to me. Can we grab a coffee? I'd love to know your insights about how we can how we can improve. Or some of the clients would say, yeah, we want to make sure we don't fall into that trap. Can you have a chat with us about what you would recommend? And then on the back of that, they go, oh, well, thanks so much for that. 
here's two live jobs for you. Uh, <laughs> can you run that for me? And then all of a sudden there could be average fee of 80,000. You made 160 grand from a five minute post and a cup of coffee. So no. when you look at it like that, you go, this is crazy. It doesn't cost you anything to do it the first instant. No. It doesn't take you a lot of time. Time. It costs you the time and mental state. Yeah. But it's not like you're paying for paid marketing and a fortune. No. People, the problem with people is, in our industry specifically, they, they, they're so short-term focused, yeah. right? So I've got to find three CVs today yeah. for this. I've got to get that next job yeah. on. And the thought of doing something that might pay you back in a week exactly. or a month or a year is like, nah. Yeah. Whereas the best people in our industry are able to do yeah. that. Right, they're able to get through what they need to do from a short-term perspective, yeah. but still lay a foundation for the future. Yeah. It's like this show, right? I put this out with yeah. you. The chances of someone going, right, I've just listened to John Berry. I love the sound of Hoxo. I want to work with yeah. you. On the day of it going out, relatively slim. Exactly. But the amount of people that listen formulaically and systematically, and then they go, I've listened to loads of your podcasts. I love it. What do you, like, can we talk about what you actually do yeah. It's bonkers, yeah. mate. Yeah. It's mental. The amount of business I get from it. And it's all about laying foundations. Exactly. I think the word you used before was consistency. Yeah. That is everything. I say to so the best recruiters I've ever worked with, it's not because they are better than anybody else. They're just consistent. They just do the right they thing. Keep doing day. the basics really well and keep doing it. And that's it. Every day. Every day. They don't drop off. No. And so you were the first of Robert. Yes. What was the conversation that you then had because then we've opened up the business well i think how did that go into i was just beating everyone with a stick to be like guys there's something in this i'm telling you like it's not just me saying oh we should all post on linkedin everyone going oh well you just shut up it was like you can see the commercial revenue that's being generated because of it and yeah and again everyone has to see proof behind it because everyone's like oh i don't understand i'm not going to post about my dog on linkedin and you're like yes but if you do x y and z consistently these are the type of messages I'm getting on the back of it. And this is the revenue generated. And people uh, were just like, wow, I actually see it. Let's give it a go. And I said to everyone, there's a lot of, as we call dinosaurs. People are going, that's a load of rubbish. I'm not using it. Give it a try. And the funny, the ones who resisted at the beginning were the ones who go, wow, this has changed the game completely. Yeah. And it's not a substitution for what we do. Like, no, you still should be meeting people. That's never going to change. The, the relationships you build are in person in my view it's still coffees wines events all that kind of stuff but this is just an added value that just builds your brand it's two things it's two things it's it can help you get in the room with someone yeah. and it can help create that but yeah. it also can keep you in the room with someone so if you think about me and you yeah. we saw each other in april yeah. we saw each other a year before but we've seen each other online yeah. in those gaps so i've not had to phone you yeah. to know what's going on you've not had to phone me to know what's going exactly on. and and so we stay connected yeah. It's, and, and it's a skater because you're one of thousands of people that see my shit and I'm one of thousands of people that see yeah, yours. Exactly. And it's, I, I wish more people saw it, but that's, again, that's my journey, right? So exactly. Trying to Prime example, I, in our building, there's a little coffee cart at the bottom and I sat there and two, I was sat with one of our consultants having a chat, but it was like an appraisal and two lawyers walked past and both just said, excuse me, can I just stop you? You're Jonathan. I was like, yeah. And they're like, I see all your stuff on LinkedIn. Can we have a chat at some point? And gave me the card. And the person I was with, I was like, see? That's why it works. Yeah, like, well, but I wouldn't have had that but for posting on LinkedIn. It's nuts. Yeah. It is nuts. I was in Belfast recently, yeah. right? And I'm absolutely, you know, I'm in a bar on a 40th yeah. drinking Guinness and this guy comes up to me and he's like, do you know where the, I don't know either the accent, he's not from Belfast. <laughs> he, was a, he was a Londoner, but he was like, he's like, do you know where the, where the toilet is, mate? Or something. He was pretty drunk. Yeah. And then I went, yeah, mate, it's just over there. And he went, you're that recruitment podcast guy. <laughs> really? 
uh, and he told me what firm he worked for and I was like God, it's, it's mental. Yeah. It's everywhere. Exactly. I did not get any business off the yeah, guy going to the toilet, but probably doesn't remember my conversation. No, yeah. get, you get the point. Yeah. Um, so, okay, you've we've worked together, and I've watched. Not only have I, have I then worked with the business, yeah. I've watched your career go from you've now literally run the region. What? How would you describe the job you're in now? Yeah. And is it fulfilling that Guardiola yeah. role that you said you want? Definitely, I think. Now, it's, I was a little bit concerned at the beginning because I was thinking, am I getting too far away from recruitment? Because yeah. all of a sudden, it's very much, you've got leadership team, you've got senior consultants, you've got people below you that do all of the job that you're used to. And it's quite a, I suppose, a fast learning curve where you go, almost now I'm learning to be a businessman. That's what I was always told, where you're lo looking at P&Ls and hiring and firing and business strategy and cost cutting and expenses yeah. and events and all, the, all of that that really isn't related to the core job of just selling yeah just selling so but actually loved it because it's i built teams and you can and nick example is a prime example hired him as a consultant six years ago he's now been promoted four or five times an associate director and you see how far he's come in his journey and that's motivating to me because i'm like wow that's super cool um and we also get people in our office who go thank you so much because i bought a house on the back of it and you forget the tangible things that working in recruitment can give you so it's not just a nice career path where you go oh we're all having fun people then make bonuses and save money and buy their dream home and go wow that's amazing that that's opportunities happen so based on that love it and i'd say the actual job that i do now much more strategic it's much more have we got the right people in the right places back to the guardiola piece yeah and yeah tactics. yeah um but then also is that, is everyone motivated if not why not what can we do to motivate people and it's not just money do you have a target on your own head from a billing perspective? No, 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 no. It's purely operating profit across the whole office, really. Um, but even little things like, again, the Middle East is so, it's a cultural melting pot. And back in the Sydney days, events were easy because it was just everyone wanted to go for a drink and go to the bar. Whereas here, obviously, we have a lot of Muslims in the office who don't drink and it's unf they don't want to just watch me and Jason get pissed. So yeah. it's very much, you've got to think about everybody. And it's, do we go go-karting? Do we do events and all that kind of stuff? So it's very culturally inclusive and your clients and candidate bias exactly the same so i think and one thing i'm always proud of is you look at where you were six years ago and you go wow we were 15 people with a legal team of two and now we're 50 people and one of the biggest brands in the region um yeah we had our 10-year anniversary in november last year ceo flew out he was at the british embassy which was super cool wow. obviously they're saying you're a british company 10-year anniversary that's really cool in the region so you look yeah. at all that and you go wow we've achieved a lot in a relatively short period of time really so what is next for you though? You, like you say, you're 35. Yeah. You're, you're what I call an entrepreneur. Yeah. You're running, you're running a business unit within a business. Yeah. You, you know, you profit based bonuses. Yeah. You're not, you're not a recruiter yeah. anymore. What's the, what's the future for, for John? Yeah. So I think this part of the world, and we touched upon this before we did the podcast, is so exciting right now. The future's amazing. Um, I mean, our CEO actually said 20 years ago he would probably want to move to the Dubai office because a lot of what the other countries are going through at the moment is fixing stuff in the past so fixing the railways or fixing the health service and it's all kind of looking at the past to improve it this region's the opposite it's almost a blank canvas and it's forward thinking it's what can we grow what can we build what can we invest in and therefore from a recruitment perspective that's super interesting like we've got whole divisions we can create that we don't have um Geographically wise, Saudi Arabia is a bit of a buzzword at the moment, and mainly because of probably the Ronaldo effect. Yeah, when yeah. he went, all of a sudden Saudi gets the global headliners. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, that is the biggest population in the region, in the Middle East. Therefore, the recruitment market has got so much potential. Do you think the Saudi Pro League stuff is having an impact on people? Yeah, definitely. Well, be you look at the World Cups now going there in 2036 yeah. or whatever it is. Um, there's Expo is going there, and we've had, obviously, the Qatar World Cup. There's so much going on in the region. We had COP28, we've had Expo here last year. So yeah. there's so much good stuff going on, and that's not changing, I think. No. A lot of the other countries are having tough times and recessions and here's not, which is like the make hay while the sun's still shining. And yeah, we would have just want to keep building it. I think this year's going to be different. We're not really necessarily growing and just going to be like, we'll be a hundred people by the end of the year. I think this year is going to be more strategic hires and maybe a bit more senior people, maybe to build a couple of other divisions or certainly go deeper in with the verticals we've got. So have you been given a growth target? Yeah, though? yeah, exactly. So I think that's the plan for this year. And then obviously we've always got other areas we're looking at. Do we do enough in Qatar? Probably not. I know we're looking at other countries like Mauritius as part of the Middle East, um, Africa region. So yeah, it's exciting times. And you've obviously got two young children, yep. two under four. Two under two. Yeah. Two under two, sorry, yeah. Yeah, two under two. Yeah. Wow, that is a lot. And um, what... Does that mean for you personally being in this region? Yeah. So you're, you're both English, you've got parents and family yeah. in the UK. Where do you see yourself? How, how are you going to navigate the That's future? the hard bit, obviously, because there's always that pull of family. But I don't even speak to my parents and Carly's parents. They always say, you've got to do for you. Don't live your life for us. And I think if we're being honest, we were, if we were to move back to the UK, it would be for family reasons. Yeah, yeah. Is that the best for us right now? Probably not. And like you said, with Robert Walters, it'll probably be London. Yeah, exactly. Which is not where your family are. Exactly. So it'll be... Do they come here a lot? Yeah, so they come... As I said, my mother-in-law's here now, staying with us for yeah. a couple of weeks to help with the baby. Um, so yeah, so they come here. And we've always kind of said, if you can kind of see family and friends once a quarter, that flies by. And we've got... This is actually the period where it's too much because we've got so many friends coming, as you know. Hey, when I lived in London and my mum was in Blackpool, that's where she was. She moved out from Manchester to Blackpool. That was a five-hour journey. Yeah. I saw her less than once a quarter. Exactly. Maybe three times a year. Yeah. yeah. They might come to London once and I'd go up there a couple of times yeah. in the summer, Christmas. Now my mum's lived moved to Yorkshire, yeah. which is forty minutes away and we see her every yeah. week. So I think I would struggle with not having that in my yeah. life. I think yeah. for now, especially around the baby. I think maybe we we're kind of used to it now because obviously yeah. Australia peaks. Yeah. We've been expats now for coming up to the tenth year. So for us it's probably the norm. It would probably be a bit weird if our families were around all the time, if anything. But I think I think you'd find it hard to come back from yeah. being a, an expat because yeah. there's something glamorous and exciting about these places yeah. and you go home and you're back to just being like everyone else. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. Mate, thanks so much no, no, for giving me your time. Thanks for being an amazing client. You've been, you know, flying the flag for me yeah. in, in Robert Wallace, but it's been great to watch your personal journey on LinkedIn and all the stuff you've done. If anyone's listening who perhaps either is interested in Robert Walters yeah. or one, in fact, let me go back to one question before. Yeah. Like, I think people are going to be listening to this. Why haven't you started your own business yeah. yet? Like, what's keeping you at Robert Walters? That's the question I want to finish off because that's the bit I think other people yeah. might be going through. Great question. I think Robert Walters in particular, I think the company itself is what's kept me because I've always been backed. If I've ever had an idea or I want to set up a new team or set up a new division or hire somebody, as long as it's sensible and it makes commercial sense, I've always been backed and they say, go for it. So I've, in the same way, like you said, an entrepreneur is... I'm doing the job as an entrepreneur, but within a business and I'm proud of what I've built, to be honest. So I think for me, having that backing and the brand has, has been fantastic. So I think, yeah, I could have done it a couple of years ago and I've always had people knocking on the door saying, why are you not doing it? But I think pretty happy. I like having 
a lot of people around me and a good culture and seeing people grow. Whereas you start on your own. And like you said, back in a spare bedroom on my own, hammering the phones. And does that excite me as much as coming to an office, having 40 people and we're going for big quarterly bashes and boat parties and stuff. So that's the stuff definitely that keeps me going. So it's the Guardiola versus me and the player, yeah, right? Exactly. And, and so someone who's listening who perhaps is on that fence, do I stay where I am, become like a director? Do I go and get a big job in a region or do I start my own? If they wanted to talk to you, yeah. you'd be open to the region out. And anything yeah. to do the Middle East, because there's a lot of interest. Lots yeah. of people in Australia, the UK are interested, but they don't know anything about it really. So yeah, more than happy to take any messages. Mate, you're a legend. We'll get you on again in the future yeah. and see how your career and the business evolves in the region. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. No worries. Thanks, Sean. Thank you as always for listening to today's show. I truly hope that you got value from it. Honestly, it's the only reason I take time every week to ensure that my audience, you guys, future and existing recruitment owners, you're learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. And today's episode is brought to you by my business, Hoxo. I'm the CEO and founder, and we're on a mission to help brand recruitment agencies and their people better. I want to help people have the tools to stand out in the most competitive markets in the world. We're currently working with over 350 recruitment agencies and 5,000 of their consultants right now, helping them to build their personal brands to consistently win more business, attract talent, and just become that go-to recruiter in the market. Now we do have a huge coaching program, but a lot of people don't know, we also manage the brands of a lot of founders and we can do the rebrand of that company organizational piece as well. So if your recruitment agency either needs help to look and sound exactly how you want it to, or your leadership and consultant level need to get out there and drive more traffic back to that website, to the business and start using LinkedIn to generate more revenue, then you should definitely be reaching out to us. If that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean, a personal message on LinkedIn. I love hearing from RAG listeners. I would love to talk to you. Uh, look forward to it. So I'll see you again next week with another episode. Catch you soon.